happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is hard for me to imagine Jesus opening up to his disciples, speaking so plainly of his death, describing exactly what will happen to him. But I do, do say, perhaps it is a bit easier for us, as we know, when Jesus told of what would happen to him, it actually did. The disciples didn't. We, on this side, know, and we don't have to wonder or be confused about what Jesus said. But again, this wasn't the case with the disciples. They still had Jesus with them. Why does he keep talking about dying and rising again? This is the third time in the Gospel of Mark thus far, he has sat his disciples down and told them that he is going to die. Well, needless to say, they don't get it, and they aren't understanding what he is saying. They didn't understand that he was telling them what was going to happen to him. And here's the kicker. They were afraid to ask him, please tell us more, Jesus, what are you talking about? So what did they do instead? Well, Randy, you chuckled this morning. What did they do? They began to talk amongst themselves, but really the text says they're not talking, they're actually arguing. And what were they arguing about? Well, who was the greatest among them? Who was the best? Who was the brightest? Who was the hardest worker? Who was the most handsome, the smartest? Who was the best? That's what they were arguing about. Right after Jesus talks of his death, I don't know about you, but this seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? It's almost a bit embarrassing when so plainly shared. Essentially, this is what happens in a nutshell. A man pours his heart out to those closest to him. They don't understand a bit of what he's saying to them. And so out of their fear, they just don't engage. They basically shut down, but then, when alone, they decide they have to have a lively discussion about who's the best in the group. Does that sound about right? Well, this might be for me one of the worst moments that is captured about our 12 closest to Jesus. 
for me, this is a disciple fail. So, how does one get from someone opening their hearts and sharing with a group of trusted friends to them then responding in kind with talks about how great they are, how important they are? How does one make that jump? What's the bridge that connects one from the other? One who is obviously displaying vulnerability and truth. And the other set displaying haughtiness and self-importance. It's pretty striking, the contrast, isn't it? Well, for me, the bridge revolves around one word. It's interesting to me, if you read the Gospel of Mark from start to finish, there is one underlying notion that just keeps coming up, and it is this. Do not be afraid. But in this particular instance, the bridge from Jesus to his disciples is a four-letter word called fear. Those closest to Jesus were scared out of their minds. They were afraid. And that's where this gospel really hits home for me today. Because when we are afraid and when we are guided by fear, this is the one thing I've learned is that we tend to not act in wisdom and discernment. We aren't able to make the best decisions. Instead, we are guided by emotion. And most of the time, this carries us to a place that, well, to put it plainly, isn't always good. Or what we might truly deserve. Or what is best for us. So what does Jesus do to counter this notion of fear? Well, in only the way Jesus can, he seizes the opportunity as another teaching moment. And perhaps at the back of his mind, he's thinking, maybe, just maybe, this time they'll get it. So he calls them to him. And he says this, guys, if you want to be great, you must be small. If you want to, to be a leader, you must be a servant first. If you want to be the best, if you want to be the first, you must choose to be last. Oh, Jesus, seriously. This doesn't sound like fun at all. And I don't care what century you live in, the first century or the 21st century. This isn't how the world works, is it? There are some things about the story of humanity, regardless of what time period you live in, that don't change. And this is one of them. 
What Jesus is teaching isn't how the world works. It's countercultural. It doesn't make sense. Most of us aren't innately wired this way, but this is what Jesus is saying we must do. And to reinforce his teaching, he takes a child in his arms and he says, this is what it's about. If you welcome this vulnerable, this lowly, this child, this little one, you have welcomed me. And not only have you welcomed me, you have welcomed the one who sent me. If this scenario doesn't blow your mind, it should. This is revolutionary. No other leader takes a child in his arms and said, this is what you need to emulate your life after. It was unheard of in the first century, and dare I say, it's pretty much unheard, unheard of now. Think about it. Perhaps most of us don't use the language that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. We may think it. We don't say it out loud most of the time anyways, do we? <laughs> but we do think about ourselves and about doing great things in small and subtle ways. Take, for instance, I'm going to be honest. Don't hold this against me, please. When I'm feeling insecure about being a mom, especially when I see other mamas host over-the-top birthday parties that I know I'll never be able to do, they always seem to have their children's papers signed on time and clothes laid out in an orderly way. I'm just not that mom. And in my fear and insecurity, I criticize and make their efforts a bit less grand or good. Because I don't want them to be a better mom than me. <laughs> or perhaps as a priest, and this is where it's getting really personal. The subtle comparisons about how Grace is doing in comparison to other churches. And that nice feeling that comes when success is had here, and maybe not in other places. Oh, yes. It comes to me as a priest, and I don't like it one bit. But I'm not immune. And I would venture to say, wherever you find yourself in life, you just might have a small idea of what I'm talking about. If you're honest. When I take the time to slow down and ask why I do it, again and again it goes back to being afraid and fearful about not knowing and about not about knowing way too much about beating myself up about the past or incessantly worrying about the future. All of the fear so entrenching that it robs and steals away the joy of the moment. Dad gum it. It takes from me the present goodness 
of the life that God has given to me. We can be, become so clouded with the thickness of fear and worry that we can't even see what is plainly right in front of us. And eventually, because we have chosen to rest in this fear and cloud, we begin to trick ourselves into believing that this is all there is. And then, sadly, we begin to live our lives guided by this fear, guided by anticipation of what bad thing or what challenge or what thing is going to come up next. And all I can say is it's a prison, my friends. It is not an abundant and a joy-filled life a life given to us by a God who loves us immeasurably and wants nothing more than for us to experience abundant life and freedom. <laughs> and Jesus knows this. Thanks be to God. He knows this and he offers a way out. Are you curious what that way out might be? You see, the opposite of fear is faith. Having the faith and trust to believe that one doesn't have to live in hiding and with apprehension. Trusting ourselves and believing that we don't have to be the best or the greatest. In fact, we can be the worst, the smallest, the least knowledgeable, the most vulnerable. We can be all of those things, kind of like a little child. And that is okay. Because at least you were brave enough to try. Because that is what faith is. Getting out of bed each morning, putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward. Not knowing what will happen. But buoyed by the strength and peace that you're not doing it alone. I'm honest. It's daily work for me. Every single day. So how do I counter my feelings of fear? And how do I try and stop myself from haunting memories of the past and worries about the future? Well, I do my best to counter it with faith. I counter it with being present right now in the moment. Relishing as best I can being here, showing up to what is. Not wishing for what isn't there, giving it my best shot to faithfully be present to what is, no matter how bad or how much I wished it wasn't that way. It's being truthful, and it's being faithful to what is. And most of all, it's not being guided by fear. It's facing what is, not going around it, but facing head on and not brushing it off or moving past it to get to what I really want. 
The spiritual life, my friends, is one in which we are ever evolving, or at least it should be. We are ever changing. And with change, as we all know, it's not easy. It can be challenging, and most of all, it can be fearful. What I always come back to, and it is so simple, but it is something I think most forget, and it is this. We can rest in knowing that we are not alone. No matter how much you might feel alone, you are not. We are never alone. Because when you embrace faith rather than fear, you trust and hope that there is a purpose in all things, that good can come, that peace and abiding joy do actually exist, and God wants that for you. Even if the only proof we have of that in the moment is our very breath, nefesh, given to us in Genesis 1. Because remember, our breath is God's spirit within us. Ever reminding us that we are his. You need to know and I need to know that our best life is one in which fear is not what guides or leads. Our best life is had when we faithfully put one foot in front of the other, trusting that we're not alone, believing that God is ever with us, providing us strength and peace, which this world knows nothing about. We are meandering our way through the Gospel of Mark. And if you read it, you will be reminded, do not be afraid. Perhaps this sounds basic and elementary. I would ask that you might remember who Jesus pulled into his arms. He was a child, a babe, one who didn't know one who wasn't cunning, one who didn't know all the answers, one who just showed up and was present to the moment and just wanted to be loved and acknowledged and seen. Faith is that which often isn't seen but forever hoped for. Do not forget that. And do not be afraid. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.